0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And welcome to the prologue. I am Doug Dahlgren. I'll be your host for the next hour, and we are going to have some fun today. I get to introduce you to an author and a book, a book that you'll just keep it around wherever you are to pick up and read again and again when you need your spirits lifted. Now, humor is out there. But there are a special few folks who can point it out to the rest of us. Most of us are blind to it. We've got one of those special people with us today as our guest, and this is your prologue. Now, most of us have been called for jury duty at one time or another, and most of us would rather have a root canal than go there. It's a world we're totally unfamiliar with, and let's face it, it makes us uncomfortable. It's a world occupied by sullen-faced clerks, who haven't smiled since their third birthday, and stiff-jawed judges, with an exception who you'll meet in just a minute. But most of all, it's the lawyers that create that atmosphere. They're the shepherds who guide us through this world, and we're positive that their main objective is simply to take our money in the process. We know we need them, and yet we don't understand these people, so we make jokes about them. Some are really bad. You've heard most of them, so I'm not going to bore you with a whole long list here. But one sums up our feelings very simply. It goes like this. How many lawyer jokes are there? The answer is three. The rest are true stories. Our guest today understands that world, and she has turned the tables on us. She sees the humor in our lives and points it out to us in the fashion of Irma Bombeck, Dave Barry, and Jerry Seinfeld, and the notable Louis Grisard. To quote our guest, you have two choices in this world. You can laugh, or you can cry. She chooses to laugh, she says, and she writes to take us with her. This practicing attorney and judge, by day, dons the cape of humor in whatever spare time she can find, and writes down her observations of life in story form. She offers us collections of her stories in her books. Her first book, Mismatched Shoes and Upside-Down Pizza, reminded us through its title alone how so much that doesn't seem funny at the time really is. Continuing and broadening her scope of humorous anecdotes, Lloyd B. Duff now offers her second book, The Armadillo, The Pickaxe, and the laundry basket, covering the answers to such questions as how to operate a refrigerator in 26 easy steps and how to serve Cheetos in a Tiffany bowl. Her humorous wisdom even includes discussion of supportive undergarments. Our guest brings us everyday events into focus and makes us laugh. Please welcome our guest this hour, the Honorable Lori B. Duff. How are you, Your Honor? I'm just fine. Thank you for such a kind introduction. Well, goodness sakes, you deserve it, and we're pleased to have you with us. Uh, you know, Winston Churchill is quoted as saying that lawyers occasionally stumble over the truth, and most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing has happened. Well, that's not you. That's not Laurie Duff. You, you tend to make note of what you observe, and then you write it down for us. And as busy as your days have got to be, how do you keep up with all the material that's thrown your way?
2: Oh, um, well, I have piles, I have lists, I have—I <laughs> don't sleep very much. Uh, I have a—I've been blessed with a good memory. I don't forget that much, which irritates my husband to no end. Um, but I'm—I'm I'm a pretty organized person, and I bring my laptop wherever I go, so I have. if I have five down minutes, then I'm going to spend them being productive.
1: Now, it seems I read somewhere that you have a condition that you describe as being CDO. You want to explain that to us? <laughs> That's OCD with the letters in the proper order. <laughs> Alphabetical, the way they should be. I don't think we need to describe that any further. That's pretty clear. Now, obviously, you're extremely intelligent and quick-witted. Were you ever that little smiling, big-tailed, smart aleck that we all knew in elementary school?
2: I was a pretty good kid. Um, I I really, despite it all, I am a people pleaser, and I I do toe the line most of the time. Um, In my memory, I'm probably a lot more straight-laced than I I was in real life. Um, But my father... Still, will to this day tell the story of the time that um, I, I needed. I had forgotten something at school, and he brought it to the high school to give to me. And I wouldn't come out of the stairwell for him to hand it to me because he. I, I didn't want to break the rule, even though my father was standing right there. And, and and so I've always been that person. But that doesn't mean that I don't have a sense of humor. And in, in this book. Um, You know, I I had thought that I I found my writing voice later in life, but my father reminded me of an essay that I had written in high school that had won some New York State Award at the time that I had written. Uh, I think it was an an assignment to write a Jonathan Swift-like essay uh, about airline, and what what I had written about was airline regulation. and It must have been 1985, 1986. And uh, so I included that in the the latest book as, as an example of how I guess I've always been this way.
1: <laughs> well, what was your child, uh, childhood like? Did, did you have other siblings and uh, regular interaction with those? Yeah. my I'm,
2: I have a really normal upbringing. I, I, there's nothing traumatic about it, which I guess is good, but unusual these days. My parents are both alive and still married to each other. I have a sister. Uh, and she's three years younger than me. We grew up in your basic middle-class household.
1: Now, does she write at all, or does she just enjoy reading your stuff?
2: (laughs) She doesn't write, uh, not that I know of, anyway, not that she showed me. Uh, She works for the school board. She was a school teacher, and now she works for the school board in a school system on Long Island.
1: All right. Well, now, today, of course, you've got a terrific family of your own. You've got your Mm -hmm. husband, Mike, and the two children, Jacob and Marin. Yes. Uh, How and when did you meet Mike?
2: Uh, I have a good story for how I met Mike. (laughs) Uh, Mike was, at the time, one of the helicopter pilots for the DeKalb County, Georgia Police Department. And uh, I worked in the juvenile court, which was across the street from the building where the helicopters took off and landed from the roof. And we had these big picture windows in the front of the building, and occasionally I would look out and see the helicopters taking off and landing, and I said, if it kills me, I'm getting a ride. I'm getting a ride in one of those helicopters. And I was an assistant district attorney at the time working for DeKalb County. And um, so one day uh, in the juvenile court, I saw a guy in a flight suit, talking to a friend of mine about a pending case, and I walked up and asked for a ride. (laughs) Straight forward. Yeah, that was in December of 1995, so it's been almost 20 years, and here we are.
1: Well, very good. Now, along with your practice, we've already mentioned you have two books. You've got the original Mm -hmm. mismatched shoes and upside-down pizza, and now we're here today to really go into the armadillo, the pickaxe, and the laundry basket, What would you say is different, if anything, about this new book? Um, Well, I've included
2: some things in it that are... uh, A lot of it is a compendium of what I've put up on my blog, which is is different places you can find it on the Internet. Um, But I've also added some that were deemed by what I call my screening committee a little too much, I guess, (laughs) They're still relatively clean, um, but for my for my blog, and so they're included in there. It's new new material. Also, like I mentioned earlier, the essay from one that I'd written in high school. Um, as also, just as I write and as I do it more, I think my style matures. There's a little more, I think, sentimentality maybe in this one, although certainly not a whole lot of it. <laughs>
1: Well, we're we're all exposed to, you know, humanity on a daily basis, but, you know, let's back up a minute. You, you've you mm-hmm. been around it. You've had it forced upon you for many years. How long have you been, including the, your time as a lawyer, how long have you been an officer of the court?
2: Oh, that would only be my time as a lawyer, but I passed the bar in November of 1994, so it's almost 21 years now.
1: 21 years, and today... You're a municipal judge mm-hmm. and you still are managing partner in your law firm. Right. It's pretty that's a pretty full day, isn't it?
2: Yes. It is a very full day.
1: <laughs> when when did all this information that you've obviously absorbed, when did it turn into humor writing? When did you start writing it down?
2: I started doing it probably about five or six years ago. Um As just a a way of cheap therapy, I was... uh, My husband had taken down the light over the sink in my bathroom and then got distracted and didn't put it back up for several months, and it was really irritating me. And so I just started blogging, and this is not really a public blog, but I just started blogging about all the things that he found time to do that would not putting the light back over the sink, which included planting a garden under the power lines to attract wild turkeys and, and things like that. Yeah. And um, <clears throat> then about um, close to three years ago now, The Patch uh, had put out a call for bloggers, and I sent a copy of what I had, and I asked if that would be appropriate, and then um, they liked it, and I thought, well, that's a little too personal. I really don't want to air my personal business in a public forum. But there was so much other material out there that is personal. I mean, all these stories are personal. They're all about me and my family, the things we think and the things we do. Uh, And so I really just broaden the scope rather than just talk about my husband and what he does and doesn't do
1: and, and talk about the
2: world as I walk
1: into it. This might be a good time to go ahead and tell the folks, where can they find your books?
2: Uh, almost anywhere online. It's on Amazon, the website. It's on Barnes & Noble's website. It's on um, Books a Million website. It's, uh, you can find it anywhere online. I'm working on the brick-and-mortar retailers right now. It's only been out a little over a month, so I'm still working on that. Do you
1: have a Do you have a personal website where they can...
2: I do. I do. It's uh, com. And Lori is spelled with four letters, L-O-R-I. There's a lot of ways to spell it, but L-O-R-I-D-U-F-F-Writes.com.
1: Okay. Wonderful. Very good. Folks, we want you to go out there and check out these books. There's two. We've got Mismatched Shoes and Upside Down Pizza and the new one, The Armadillo, The Pickaxe, and The Laundry Basket. And we're here this morning with Lori B. Duff. This is Doug Dahlgren on your prologue, and we will be back with more after these short messages.
2: Don't be hoodwinked by the left who wants you to believe the fairy tale that we can power America on butterflies, rainbows, and pixie dust. I'm Marita Noon. Get the truth about energy on my show, America's Voice for Energy, only on America's Web Radio.
4: on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And we are back. This morning we're here on the prologue. My name's Doug Dalvin. We have humorist Lori B. Duff with us. Lori brings us her newest book, The Armadillo, The Pickaxe, and The Laundry Basket. And if you think that's an odd title, uh, it is but there's a reason for it. Now, Laurie, you are a judge, and so you've got a very busy day and also being a lawyer and a wife and a mother. Uh, and this is going to sound like a silly question after saying all that, but you waited rather late to start writing. You had all this stuff obviously building up on you. Why did you wait until the time you did to actually start writing your books?
2: Uh, well, part of it was I, I had to... I'm at a point in my career, not where coasting is the wrong word, but where I've built up my book of business and I've established myself and I don't have to do the things, the time-consuming things that it takes to do that and so that frees up a marginal amount of time. Um, Part of it was that this was an alternative to a very loud, very newsworthy midlife crisis. Uh, I had run for office in 2012, and I am not of the personality type that is good for that sort of thing. I cannot work a room to save my life. I I just don't do well in a political arena. It was a very difficult, soul-sucking experience, and I ended up losing terribly. And I was very, at the time, very bitter and disappointed, um, and... I just felt like something had to change, something had to to uh, be different uh, other than the path that I was on, because that was just leading me to frustration. And so rather than completely step off and change my life and get a convertible and a 20-something boyfriend and leave my family and kids, I uh, chose a creative outlet, and that's that's when it all got started. It's like, okay, I don't have to focus all my ambition towards this one goal. I can have more than one, and it was a great outlet for me to channel that frustration.
1: Very good. Well, I'm sure Mike is pleased with your choice. <laughs> um, he hated campaigning too. So did my kids. <laughs> they, they keep. You know, I I have thought I have thought about doing that at times, but I wouldn't do it with the intention of winning. It would just be to tick off everybody else. <laughs>
2: Well, I did and that I, without that being my intention, so there you go. Really?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. You look at some of these people, and you know they got to start off meaning well, but gosh, it seems to go downhill mm-hmm. after that. Anyway, you know, your books, you mentioned, you touched on it a little earlier with the group that helps you in, in editing and proofreading and all. Your books are really for all ages. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, i, I purposely don't write
2: anything that I wouldn't let my kids read. Uh, my kids are 13, my son is 13, he'll be 14 in a few weeks, and my daughter's 11. Um, and I do that on purpose f- for the same reason that I choose to write humor instead of something more serious. Uh, I do have a, a legal column that I write uh, for the Monroe Local. Called, I call it Legalese, and I talk about legal issues, and that's a whole lot more serious. Uh, But what I really enjoy is the humor column, and the reason why I enjoy it is because, to me, humor is something that can bring everything together, that funny is funny, and it doesn't matter what your religion or your race or your politics, funny is just funny, and it's something we can all share, and it's something that, in this world, which just seems so increasingly divisive, and there's so many, you look on Facebook or other social media, and there's just arguments and arguments and arguments, but everyone gathers around the things that are actually funny, and and so I, I feel like with so much in this world to be sad about, to be mad about, to argue about, that I, I want to, I guess, kind of undo the karma that being a lawyer has <laughs> thrown on me, and instead of waging war, I want to bring people together, and, and I think humor could do that, and I, I think that... You know, so many these days, so many humorists and so many comics and, and so much writing in general is is uh, full of cuss words, sex, violence, that sort of thing. And it has its time and place, and anyone who knows me well knows that there are times when uh, you could easily compare me to a marine on shore leave, but there, there's a time and a place, and it, it sort of hampers creativity. You know, it's easy to drop an F-bomb, but it's really hard to come up with an alternative. And a lot of times the alternative is funnier. And it, so it, it, in purposely avoiding that sort of thing, not only do I expand the audience, um, and my my son's friends actually really, they're 13, and they, they love the book, and they post it all over Instagram about it. And my mother's friends love it too, and they're in their, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s. And um, so I, I, I think it's great that there's something that can be universally enjoyed and that's the only way to do it. And like I said, it also does inspire creativity. You know, it's one thing to, to drop a, an F-bomb, that's easy to do, but and the alternative, and you have to come up with something. And and if I can say, oh, you know, F that, but if I say frickle, freckle or something equally ridiculous, it's funnier. It's just funnier. And it, it's it creates more of a creative challenge
1: for me. We've all got choices we have to make, don't we? I mean, you, yeah. you might could draw you might could draw a different audience if you if you allowed those words into your writing. But then, are those the people you really want anyway? Uh, you know, and you this would cost you the people that do enjoy your work. So uh, there's a hidden message in there, politicians. But anyway, <laughs> uh, you've got to stick to your principles, and you've got to stick to what you know is is right and uh, that tends to work out most of the time um uh, you know I, I applaud you for that i find myself you know same thing i write action fiction and about assassins and all that kind of good stuff and yet i don't use those blue words either there, there's a couple that sneak in but nothing like the f-bomb nothing like that and i didn't know that about myself until i started writing so i have that i can be proud of myself with um well, there's a time and a place. You know, if you drop something sure. heavy on your foot, you wouldn't say, oh,
2: darn. You, you, there's there's a time and a place, and they're powerful words, and we have given them a lot of power, because really they're just collections of letters. But in our society, we've given them a lot of power, and you should wield all power carefully.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, I think it's desensitizing. People mm-hmm. People get to where they just, you know, just, and they don't pay attention to what your message is. So. Right. Anyway. Well, look. Let's get back on the track here. You've got these two distinctly different vocations, and you excel at both of them. Tell us, though, how is writing and the practice of law similar? To be
2: a good trial lawyer and to be a good judge and to be a good writer, you have to have good powers of observation. You have to be able to look at a situation and assess it, see what's really going on, find out what the subtext is, find out what people's motivations are. You have to have good insight into people uh, and why they're doing what they're doing, when they're doing it. Um, I think there's a lot of overlap. You also have to express yourself in a clear way that persuades. Not that I'm go. trying to convince right. anyone anything in my human writing, but <laughs> you know, I want you to come along with me for the ride, and I, so I
1: have to convince you to do that. Absolutely. You mentioned a little earlier about your blog. You mm-hmm. just touched on it. don't you go into a little more detail. Tell the folks about your blog, and also you write in a local newspaper and some other outlets. Tell the folks where they can find these and, and what you do, what's your use in those. Sure.
2: Uh, well, I have a humor blog, which I consider the main piece of my writing, and that comes out every Sunday on my blog, which is the laurieduffrights.com. That's L-O-R-I-D-U-F-F-W-R-I-T-E-S.com. You can find that in all the historical archives there. Um, then on Monday, the same humor blog comes out on the Monroe Local, which is a local, uh, a, it's an online newspaper. Um, and then on, wait, I t- take that back. It comes out on Tuesdays on Monroe Local. On Mondays, my legalese column, comes out, which is a column about the law, and uh, I make a point in it of not having opinions about the law, but rather just explaining this is what it is. And so people, it's it's to educate, and I think a lot of people are, they don't understand what goes on in a courtroom, and they're afraid of lawyers and judges and police officers in the system, and I think the more you have... um, understanding of what's going on, the less fear there is and less fear there is, and the more understanding there is. That's the goal
1: of that column. I've got to ask you this question. Okay. Society has changed so much. Yes. Are you seeing from the bench when you're there as a judge, you know, I can recall, you mentioned how people have a fear of all this, and, and we joked about it at the beginning, but are you seeing less and less respect for your position on the bench and for the law in general? Uh, in today's society, or is that just uh, something that that I'm thinking I'm seeing?
2: No, I think you're right. Um, my husband has very strong opinions on this, and he was a police officer for 30 years. And he will tell you that the day everything changed was when the Rodney King incident occurred. And that was the turning point, and that it's gone considerably downhill since then. And that when he first started as a police officer, when he showed up, everyone was happy he was there. And then when, by the time he retired, uh, that no one was happy when he was there. And it's it's unfortunate, but I, I think it is. I do see that steady decline. People come to court wearing raggedy T-shirts and shorts and flip-flops, and they're just not taking it seriously.
1: Well, the job you do is serious, and yet I think they've lost sight that really our laws, well, they used to to be anyway simply an agreement that we have among ourselves as to how we're going to conduct ourselves a stop sign's not there to slow you down from getting to the mall a stop sign's there to keep you from having a wreck with the people going the opposite direction uh, all of the laws have a purpose and a meaning and they're they're from us and by us and for us and then we have to have people that enforce them and yeah, I don't know, society today tends to look at stuff like that as, oh, that's just the man trying to tell us what to do. And, you know, we got to grow up. I think it's a lack of maturity to be uh, a little bit preachy well, what I, here. But.
2: What I say in my in my columns all the time is there's a story behind every law. There's an incident that happened that provoked a legislature legislator to present this law. And so you right. have to consider what happened, what was the situation.
1: And your job is to sit there and make sure that it's fairly and equally applied.
2: Mm-hmm. Not you know, my it's job difficult. at all to decide if I like it, to decide if I agree with it, or if it's the way I would have written it or the way I would have passed it. It's my job to say this is the law, and either it applies or it doesn't apply to the situation. And that, that's it. That's the to some total my job.
1: Absolutely. And just like with the things that the police officers are going through today, the people who are the officers of the court, they need and deserve the respect of all of us. You know, regardless of what the situation, I got a <clears throat> ticket. We had a disagreement over how fast I was going in <laughs> South Georgia, but uh, anyway, the guy was doing his job. You know, he saw it one way; I saw it another. Uh, I didn't like it. You got to you got to go with the flow, and you got. He didn't just single me out. People look at things in an odd way. Listen, we we're going to get back on track right after these breaks. We are here with Laurie B. Duff. She is a humorist, writer, and a judge. And she brings us her new book, The Armadillo, The Pickaxe, and The Laundry Basket. And we're going to be back with more from Lori after
4: these messages. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren,
0: on Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on americaswebradio.com anytime
5: you like. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. You're listening to America's AmericasWebRadio.com,
0: the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And we are back again. Good morning. We are here with Lori B. Duff. Lori has brought us a new book. This is her second book with the humorous antidotes. The title of this newest book comes from an experience that you relate in that book. In fact, it has its own chapter, The Armadillo, the Pickaxe, and the Laundry Basket. Now, we don't want to give the book away, but why don't you take a few minutes and tell us a little bit about that story, and maybe uh, if you feel comfortable, read us a couple of the little anecdotes that uh, will attract people to your book.
2: Okay. Uh, Well, I was laying in bed, minding my own business, reading a book, uh, going to sleep one evening, and I heard a scratching noise and it was it turned out to be an armadillo tunneling up through the air ducts underneath the crawl space in the house into my bedroom and I walked over to the window to see what it was. I thought it was coming from outside, and there was an armadillo just looking at me and so uh, the the chapter in the book details our to having an armadillo in the house and our attempts to catch it and figure out what to do with it. And uh, it did involve a pickaxe. It did involve a laundry basket and also a catfish net, uh, which thankfully we had on hand, <laughs> and a bunch of towels. Now, and, for uh, our
1: fr- friends in the north, we need to explain that an armadillo is basically a possum in body armor.
2: It is. And, you know, I will tell you that we did whacked the thing with the pickaxe, and the pickaxe just went boink. I mean, <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't affect it at all. It, it's just, there was a story not too long ago, just a few weeks ago, because now, you know, nowadays, people bring all things armadillo to my attention. Uh, and there was a story just a few weeks ago where somebody had seen an armadillo in the yard, and they went to shoot it, and the bullet ricocheted off the armadillo's armor and shot the guy in the face. Um so yeah, they're tough boogers, and they're about the yes. size of a large house cat, or at least this one was. So they're not small either, and it was a creepy thing to have in my bedroom.
1: <laughs> I bet. So anyway, the story—we don't want to give that whole story away, but dealing with that, uh, having been woken up by the noise and everything else—that that uh, that's, that's just something the folks need to read. Tell us a little bit more. What's some other articles in there? Some little anecdotes that you've got in the new book?
2: Oh, let's see what I have here. Um, well, some of it is just my frustration at life in general uh, about how people can't seem to go five seconds without looking at their cell phones even when they are talking to you. I start out with that one. Um, you, you mentioned in the beginning about the refrigerator. When I we got a new refrigerator and the operating manual was about the size of Warren Peace, it, I couldn't believe it took that much instruction to operate a refrigerator because you just open the door and you put the food in and you close the door and I couldn't imagine what else there was. Then um, there's stories like the armadillo story. Uh, there's last year for us or the past, the year that this book covers, it covers about a year of our lives, with a very, I don't know how tragic is a very dramatic word, but <laughs> there was a lot of medical stuff going on. I had pneumonia, I had cataract surgery, uh, my husband had back surgery, I fell and shattered my arm and had to have reconstructive surgery, so there was a great deal of medical attention and uh, that is addressed in the book. I tried to make that funny, mostly for myself. Um, And then just stuff about the kids and stuff about wearing sensible shoes once you turn 40 and uh, other things. just a little bit of everything.
1: I think that's the point of what you do, really, uh, the medical issues. You've got a whole section on that, yeah and, and it sounds serious, and yet the point is that whatever's going on in life, there's humor in there, and sometimes you just don't see it till you're able to step back and, and look at it. And Lori writes about this in a way that, you know, I wouldn't be able to do it, but I enjoy looking at it, I enjoy reading it. Um, There are reviewers that uh, have reviewed your book, primarily the first one, because this one is brand new. But the the phrases that the reviewers use are things like couldn't stop laughing, and it's a great read, and and it reminds them of their own family. So, uh, you know, speaking of that, uh, families can be your own biggest critics. What do your husband and your kids think of what you do?
2: My husband likes it. He thinks it's funny. He thinks I exaggerate. Uh, but I have asked him to point out to me exactly where it was that I was exaggerating, and he has been unable to do so. Um, I think he just does that for his own <laughs> his own self-defense. Um, my son thinks it's funny. My daughter, now that she's 11, is a little bit embarrassed by it now. She used to like it more than she does now. And there are many times, it, it, it happens so often with my family and also with my friends that something will happen and someone will look at me and just say, you're going to blog about this. You're going to write about this. I'm going to be in your next book. <laughs> and sometimes they're right <clears throat> and sometimes they're not. Um, <clears throat> but, yeah, it's uh, they enjoy it for the most part. I know my son does. And when the book first came out and it, it was... Uh, on the Amazon hot new releases list and the humor essays Seller list on Amazon, and there are these—I uh, guess they're called YouTubers. I don't know. I'm so old and uncool, but uh, that these teenagers love, and they're these—I call them kids. They're probably in their early twenties, but they've—they've they've made a fortune and a career out of making these little YouTube videos. And so my book was right next to this kid named Tyler Oakley's. Tyler Oakley's a YouTuber. And that sent my son over the edge. He could not believe it. He was not impressed until he saw my book right next to Tyler Oakley's in the rankings. And then he just went crazy and started telling everyone.
1: <laughs> well, it's, it's good to impress the kids. <laughs> you, you know, the humor's there, but you write some serious subjects. Uh, mm-hmm. You write about male-female relationships. Now, that can be... Uh, somewhat treacherous. Uh, That's pretty deep water to get into. Uh, You write about parenting. You write about grammar and travel. And again, you mentioned the medical issues. You know, tell us, how how do you manage to find humor in all of those things?
2: There's humor everywhere if you look for it. And also humor is a way of truth-telling. I mean, if if you look back at, if you can remember back to high school when you had to read King Lear, and the only one that was able to to tell King Lear the truth was the fool, because he was the only one anyone li- would listen to. And, and humor is just an effective vehicle for truth. And and if you tell somebody something in a dramatic way, they may or may not listen. They, people tend to tune out if you're yelling at them. They you know they can't get involved in someone else's drama. But if you make them laugh, they'll listen to you. Um, and so, part of it is intentional in that way. Sometimes I'll want to make a point, and I think, okay, how can I make that point funny? Um, and then, some of it is just a, a way of looking at the world. Just there's there's funny in everything if you look hard enough. And my uh, this is this is kind of personal, but when my my father was recently diagnosed with colon cancer, and he had to have surgery, and he was having bowel issues, and I called him up in the hospital, and my dad is very much like me, so I knew he would take this well. And I called him up instead of saying, oh, dad, how are you? How are you feeling? I just said, so I hear you're full of crap. And he said, very much. <laughs> and that was, you know, that's how my family <laughs> deals with it. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. it's, it's not that I don't love him or care, and I love him very much, and I care very much. and But that's the way my family communicates, and I guess that's the way I... I look at things. It's okay. If you deal with this head-on, it's just too painful, so you kind of have to look at it from the side.
1: Right. Well, now, that's a good point, though, uh, finding humor in everything, and you you write it in a humorous way, but when you're dealing with family and mentioning them, have any of your family members or friends even, anybody ever gotten upset with you about something they thought you wrote about them?
2: Um. No. For the most part, I get permission if it's not my immediate family before I write it. Uh, I, I don't put people's stories in unless they let me. Um, the one person who took issue with it was in my first book. There's a story about how at my wedding, which was in 1999, the uh, I called the older generation, my grandparents' siblings, and uh, that generation, that, that we had hired a bus to take everyone from the wedding venue to the airport, and they there was bad weather in New York where they were all from, and so they were afraid that they were going to get snowed in Atlanta. So they hijacked the bus and made, them, made the driver go to the airport two hours early, and with it they took not only the bus and everyone's ride to the airport, but also all their luggage. So, <laughs> and, and to me that was the... That's my primary memory of my wedding, which is sad, but it's just so funny to me and such an unusual thing. But uh, so I had written about that in the first book, and one of my aunts, who was uh, a member of the hijacking crew, thought that I had not told the story exactly the way it happened.
1: <laughs> well, now I was going. That's that's a good question in there. How much of what you write is exactly the way it happened, and how much do you exaggerate just for comic effect? <laughs> I,
2: it's mostly true. I, I don't have to exaggerate. Well, I don't have to change the facts. I, I'll exaggerate descriptions, but not so much the facts. Or I'll, I'll compress facts, because I, I try not to make these stories too long, I think, for the most part. Th- these are just light little things, and I, I don't want to make someone sit somewhere for 45 minutes to read It's one of these stories. so. I, I will compress facts and leave some things out. But for the most part, it's true, or at least true the way I see it. And I understand that truth is a fluid thing, depending on your perspective.
1: Well, yeah, it'd be nice if, if you know, they're not long stories. These, are, these okay. are two, three pages each, a little bit long to be actually read over the air here. But uh, the titles of some of these things, Manufactured Emergencies, Breakfast of Champions, we mentioned already How to Operate a Refrigerator in 26 mm-hmm. Easy Steps. Uh, you've got a little section on selfies. We mentioned cell phones and the way people are today. Uh, the the titles kind of give you food for thought, and then Lori takes these subjects and goes into a two- or three-page essay that uh, just breaks you up. I mean, it's it's nothing new, nothing that you hadn't thought of, but you didn't write it down. She did. Isn't that right? Well, yeah, I, I've, I've heard that a lot, and that makes me happy
2: that, that people can relate. To what I said, that these are, and that encourages me because when I first started doing this, it was very—I felt very vulnerable. These are my thoughts, and I'm letting people read them. And more and more people will come up to me and say, "Oh, that's exactly it. That's that's what happened to me." And and it's funny because I'll, I'll come across people, especially in my community, that I know who they are, but I don't really know them well, like like other parents in the school where my children attend, and things like that. And they will have read my books or read my blogs, and they, they know me. And it's not even really that they think they know me. They kind of do. And I don't know them, and they forget that. <laughs> but so they'll come up to me and expect me to have some knowledge of this shared friendship we have. And it's just been me talking the whole time. I don't know anything about them.
1: Well, we're here this morning. We're talking <laughs> with Lori B. Duff. She has two terrific books out. The first one was Mismatched Shoes and Upside-Down Pizza and the Armadillo, the Pickaxe, and the Laundry Basket. We're short for a break here. We're going to take a few minutes, and we'll come back and tell you how you can find these books. We'll be back in a minute.
4: On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com.
0: Did you miss the show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like.
3: Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected.
0: the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.
1: And good morning again. We are here on Prologue. My name is Doug Dahlgren, and we have our guest, Laurie B. Duff. Lori brings us her second great humorist book called The Armadillo, The Pickaxe, and the Laundry Basket. And, Laurie, tell the folks again where they can find your books. We've got Mismatched Shoes and Upside Down Pizza as well. Tell them where all they can go to find out more information about you and order your books. My books can be
2: found on virtually any online retailer. I almost said realtor. Retailer. Uh, And uh, some of them, I have them in some local stores, but I'm working on getting more uh, distribution with the brick-and-mortar stores, but mostly online. Uh, the, the new one has only been out for months. So I'm still working on that. I'm my in addition to being lawyer, judge, and writer, I'm also my own publicity department. So <laughs> it's slow going, but yeah, it can be found anywhere. Also on my website, Lori That's L O R I D U F F W R I T E S dot com. And while you're on the website, you can sign up for my newsletter, which comes out once every two weeks. Uh, which has everything links to everything, and just some other random thoughts that you won't find elsewhere.
1: Now, folks that, that I know, a lot of folks that like to have autographed copies. Is there a contact section on your website where they can reach out to you and have you actually mail them a signed copy of either of these books?
2: There is, there is. Just contact me, and I will make arrangements.
1: All right. Very good. Now, listen, uh, your observations are are all about life and all the twists and turns that we live through. And I understand you picked out a section There's something that you want to share with us from the armadillo, the pickaxe, and the laundry basket. Go ahead and do that, if you would, please. Okay. Well, this one is called The Changing
2: of the Guard, and it's near the end. And it's about uh, the relationship between my son and his father as they both grow older. (laughs) Okay, so here it goes. There is a man-child living in my house. I don't mean the tall one with the gray hair and a pension. I mean the 12, almost 13-year-old who has recently grown taller than me and whose voice is lower than his father's. Of course, the gray-headed one is a man-child, too, but for different reasons. I'm not the only one freaked out by how much and how fast he's growing. It's like the changing of the guard around here, and it is fun to watch. Today, for example, the mowing of the lawn was a rather large to-do my husband, Mike, the gray-headed man-child, has recently had back surgery. This makes a lot of tasks that are normally on his list, like mowing the lawn, difficult. Jacob, the, lo- the younger man-child, is perfectly capable of mowing the lawn and perfectly willing to mow the lawn, go figure. Only he doesn't ever do it because of the clash of wills that occur from the alpha dog asserting his domination dominates, excuse me dominance over the young whelp who will one day take his place. At least that's how I see it. Mike will tell you it's because of Jacob's bad attitude, and Jacob will tell you it's because Mike is an overly critical control freak. They're both right. I myself am perfectly capable of mowing the lawn. I did it for years before I got married, and one of the lawnmowers we have is still the one I got for $50 at a scratch and dent sale sometime in 1996 from Home Depot. I bought it because the one I owned previously was stolen from where I had it chained up to my fence. When I bought the new one, I got some neon paint and painted Lori's Mower Do Not Steal and my address on the mower. The pain is still there, even though I haven't owned that house for 13 years. Mike was still in bed resting his back when Jacob and I announced to him that we were going to mow the lawn so he didn't have to worry about it. He immediately gave us a list, list of instructions. Pick up the sticks first. You can use the wheelbarrow or that garbage can we keep outside, or I think it's easier to get the garbage can outside and drag it around because it's easier to move the big sticks in it. You can get the rake and just rake the sticks around outside and scoot them into the woods or the lake. Move the car so you don't blow dirt all over it. The lawnmower is hard to start. I'm probably going to have to start it for you. I kissed him, thanked him for worrying about us, but assured him that we were perfectly capable human beings who could successfully accomplish a simple task like mowing the lawn. After all, it wasn't exactly lush sod we were mowing. It was dirt patches and clover and crabgrass with the occasional lonely, hopeful remnant of fescue poking through. There had been a storm recently and great big that might more accurately be called logs, filled wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow, and got dumped in the area of sticks I call the snake pit. When it was clear enough, Jacob went out to the shed to get the lawnmower. He announced that there was a newly found type of creature in the shed, some kind of enormous, freaky cricket, spider, antenna sporting critter that was eating a smalling, smaller spider. But like the man he is becoming, he did not run away squealing. Just kept his distance and wheeled out the lawnmower. He started on the first pole and started to mow the perimeter of the yard. I kept picking up sticks and pine cones and hickory nuts so they wouldn't come flying out of the exit chute and impale anyone. Mike came out and expressed hurt surprise that the lawnmower cranked without his necessary intervention. Every once in a while, I would stop and look up at my sweaty boy, arm and shoulder muscles straining as he pushed the ancient rusty mower up the slope of the yard, and my heart would try to leap out of my chest with pride. I also wondered when he actually got arm and shoulder muscles. Wasn't it last week that he was a a six-and-a-half-pound peanut who was soft and squishy everywhere? I have a picture of Jacob at maybe four or five days old, snuggled on his father's broad chest, his whole curled-up body not even reaching from sternum to belly button. Mike, at the time, had more pepper than salt in his hair. I'm not sure what I think. In terms of pride and sadness and love and true wonder about the ascent to power of one of my men and the waning strength of the other. I love them both. I'm proud of them both, even when they lock horns and try to throw each other off the side of the mountain.
1: I'm kind of glad you picked that one. Nate. Really, I think everybody can see a little bit of themselves in part of that. Uh, when you're describing your husband and wanting to, though he really shouldn't be out there. He needed to be in, involved. He wanted to be a part of the process. Mm-hmm. And uh, at, at any rate, folks, you get an idea of how she can see just normal everyday activities and things that we all take for granted and find a way to put them in words that you can enjoy. Uh, Lori, the whole book, how long did it take you to write this book? About a year. Okay.
2: About a year. I I manage to get... I write in spurts. Sometimes I'll go a while without getting anything done, and then I'll write three or four essays at once, and then sometimes I'll just kind of keep it steady. But it takes me about a year to get enough for a book.
1: The uh, field of information that you have thrown at you from your job, do, do you ever catch yourself... Grabbing a piece of paper and, and making a note while you're sitting on the bench.
2: I purposely do not talk about anything that happens at work. Uh, so much of what I do is confidential, and it's personal to other people. And I, it, good point. And for me, it's it's the opposite of what I do at work, and I don't want to I don't want those worlds to clash that much. And and I I kind of keep those worlds separate. Because I don't want all the negativity and nastiness that goes on in a courtroom bleeding into what I try to keep light and funny.
1: Well, that's a terrific answer. I'm glad I asked <laughs> that, cause that. That is a good answer. But, you know, on the reverse of this, do you ever worry about running out of material?
2: No. No, 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 no. As long as I'm <laughs> on this earth, there will be more to write about. And, I mean, what I worry about is not having enough time to write it all down. <laughs> I, I tend to write when I'm not sitting at a computer, uh, when mm-hmm. I'm in the car, when I'm in the shower, when I'm just waiting in line. And so by the time I sit down at a computer, I'm really just transcribing what's already been written in my head. And there's a lot in the to-be-transcribed pile, always.
1: always. Well, good. Well, <laughs> we hope you don't run out of material ever Tell us, are there any more books that are in the pipeline? Are you working on anything new now? There,
2: there are. I've got some material uh, for the next one. I Right now I'm, I'm focusing on um, the publicity, really, for the Armadillo book. But there will definitely be another one, hopefully, next summer.
1: That's my goal. What we like to refer to is guerrilla marketing. Do you do any uh, personal appearances? Do you do book signings? And uh, Do you do public speaking, anything of that nature?
2: Absolutely. I would be happy to go anywhere. I'll go to book clubs, book signings. Um, I have a number of topics that I've already got prepared for public speaking. Uh, I have one that I particularly like to do um, called Finding the Funny, where I talk about how you can take a stressful situation, and rather than focus on the negative, you can find the funny in it. Um, And I've gone to women's groups and church groups, and things like that, so I'm happy to do that at any time. The contact information is all on my website. That's laurieduffrights.com, and just let me know where you want me to be, and I will do my best to be there.
1: Outstanding. Very good. Is there anybody in particular or a group of people that you would like to mention this morning or somebody you'd like to shout out to?
2: Well, it wouldn't be a public appearance if I didn't embarrass my kids, so I'll do that. Hey, Jacob. Hey, Maren. It's your embarrassing mother. I love you.
1: Very good, very good. Listen, I want you one more more time. Give you, I want you to hear the author, give the titles of your books, and tell the folks out there where they can find them. Sure. My books
2: are, the first one is Mismatched Shoes and Upside-Down Pizza. And the second one is The Armadillo, The Pickaxe, and The Laundry Basket. My name is Lori B. Duff. You can find me on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any other online retailer. And on my website, lori.duffwrites. dot com. That's l o r i d u f f w r i t e s. dot com.
1: And you also have uh, blogs out there and uh, things mm-hmm. like that. Tell the folks where they can find your blog.
2: Uh, you can find my blog on the Lori Duff Rights website, lori.duffwrites. dot com. You can also find uh, my blogs and also my legal column, which is exclusively on Monroe Local, which is. Monroe that's MonroeLocal.org, that's M-O-N-R-O-E-L-O-C-A-L dot org. And I'm occasionally on the patch. I'm not as much there as I was, but I'm still there.
1: Okay. Listen, this has been a great hoot. You're, you're a fun guest. <laughs> thank I, you. I, I've enjoyed our conversation here. And is there anything else you'd need to add before we close up for this morning? I just thank you for having me. I've really had a great time well thank you again and folks out there listeners you have been introduced i doubt that we've done justice to these great books but i hope we've tempted you to look into them and to buy them you will enjoy them tremendously so that next step is yours we want you to look up lori b duff on amazon and on her website and all the other online stores that she's mentioned and get your order in and start enjoying these things now Thank you, Lori. I appreciate you being here today. And folks out there, I want to hear from you. If you've enjoyed the show or if you haven't enjoyed the show, tell us what we can do to make it better. The website is America's Web Radio. You can reach me by email at doug at americaswebradio.com or at doug at dougdahlgren.com. The show is the prologue. We'll be here again next week. I hope everybody has a terrific weekend. Read a book. We'll see you again in 167 hours. Take care.
0: You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening.